This is Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. Every minute, the equivalent of one garbage truck of plastic is dumped into our ocean. Every minute. Plastic waste makes up 80% of all marine pollution and around 10 million metric tons of plastic ends up in our ocean each year. Joanna Wallace moved to Nelson Mandela Bay in a bid to reverse this process. She works for the Sustainable Seas Trust, a non-profit organisation founded here in the Eastern Cape with the aim of growing awareness about ocean conservation and plastic pollution. Jo's passion for the environment is clear and through education she believes we may still have the opportunity to undo the damage that has been done. For all our sakes, let's hope she's right. Enjoy. It is estimated that every day around 8 million pieces of plastic end up in our oceans. It's quite an incredible statistic. Joanna Wallace, welcome to Frontierland. I understand that this is an issue that you care passionately about. It is, Dean. Thank you so much for having me here. It's great to join. Um, yeah, I care a lot about plastic because plastic is everywhere. It forms like every part of our life. It's in our clothing. It's part of telecommunications. It's part of the food that we eat. It makes a huge part of our life. So plastic is everywhere and that's why it's all over the world and the environment. Why is it such an issue though? Because plastic, um, I've done my research here, mm. I'm a historian as you know, and uh, modern plastic was, was actually uh, invented in 1907. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's, a, it's a substance and material that's actually made our life a lot easier. Mm. Um, it's, an incredible, it's an incredible material, isn't it? Um, but yeah. why is it such an issue now into the environment? Okay. Well, Dean, everything that you've just said about plastic, so the good things, it's also the bad part about it. So plastic is this great material that's revolutionized our life because we can transport things further than we've ever been able to before. We have like long supply chains because plastic preserves food items and materials really well. It's lightweight, so it makes logistics less expensive. Um, and it's used in such a wide variety of industries. So all these things that make plastic so great are also so problematic because plastic is lightweight and it is really durable. So that means once it gets into the environment, onto land or into the ocean, it just spreads so far. Um, and once it starts spreading into the environment, like you see it along river valleys, um, you know, like along the coastline, it's very expensive and time consuming to get out of the environment again. So, yeah, it's quite a double edged sword. Well, we live in a beautiful part of the world, obviously a beautiful part of South Africa, that's for sure. And, uh, but I believe that, like me, you've fallen in up with Nelson Mandela Bay. You come from Peter Marit Maritzburg originally, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So I'm from Peter Maritzburg. I grew up there. I studied my bachelor's degree there. Um, and then I moved around a little bit. I went to work on cruise ships for a little while. Um, I studied, um, I did my master's degree in the UK. Um, I taught English in China. Um, I got back to South Africa. I lived in Joburg for a little while, loved Joburg, um, and then Cape Town, and then I ended up here. So that's a really <laughs> long story, but yeah, Nelson Mandela Bay feels like home. It's um, The people are really nice and authentic and open here. The nature is second to none, like five minutes away, and you're at the most exquisite beach. Um, yeah, it's just, it's for me, it's a no-brainer. It's so easy to love Nelson Mandela Bay. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad like, you, like me, you're a convert and you're going nowhere because we really do have nature mm. accessible to us. And I think that's one of the things that makes so many people in this, in this region passionate about conservation. And uh, you work for um, a non-profit organisation called the Sustainable Seas Trust, mm. which I believe was founded here in the Eastern Cape in 2006 by a man called Tony Ribbink. Uh, tell me a little bit about him and why why he founded the trust. Okay, sure. So, um, yeah, founded in um, the Eastern Cape and originally in Kenton-on-Sea. And um, 
SST was founded in 2006. Um, and it was founded from a program that Tony was rabbit running at the time called the African um, Ecosystem the African Coelacanth Ecosystem Program, which is where they basically discovered a fish that they thought was completely extinct here in the Eastern Cape. They call it a living fossil. Um, that's how long this, this fish had been, they, this, they thought the coelacanth had been extinct for. They found it here in the Eastern Cape um, and it changed a lot of what, what they thought about the marine environment. Um, and then, you know, this this whole network was created with this discovery and with Tony's has done a huge amount of work across um, East Africa and the Western Indian Ocean. Um, so he had this amazing network. Um, and then, you know, with, with all this work that he's done within the ocean sector, a really big need was um, identified about how we work with communities who live along the coast. So I think that's really SST's value add is not we don't just do ocean conservation. We work with with communities who live alongside the ocean and, you know, try, try to work towards um, creating like a win-win situation for both. So trying to help alleviate poverty with the work that we do. So we do a lot of teaching and capacity building and building that environmental connection, um, as well as trying to kind of facilitate livelihoods. So to me, that's the real value add that SSD has. We work with coastal communities to conserve the ocean. And well, you, we've already given the stats, of course, but plastic pollution has become mm. such a significant part of your work. Do you mm. do other things as well? Um, yes. Yeah, so we are, we are like really orientated around plastic pollution right now. But, you know, it, we do a lot of work um, to just build awareness about the environment and about the ocean um, to help our education department works with schools um, and with young learners to build that environmental connection, not just around plastic pollution, but just about ocean awareness, like help Helping them to understand why the ocean is important and build that environmental connection so that they can kind of bring it home and be um, be kinder to the environment. So we do that. Um, we do research um, about the impact of pollution on different marine species. Um, and we also create networks that help um, the environment to be maintained better. So we have a really, really great networking department that works all over Africa, literally, I think we're working in like 51 countries about how we can manage transboundary waste issues a bit better. So although our focus is has been on plastic for the last couple of years, it's because we see it as such a threat. But we are an ocean conservation NGO and over the um, like probably like next year or two, we'll go more into that space wider than we have been um, with our focus on um, plastic right now. While you concentrate on the ocean, isn't it true that this issue actually start, starts on the land mm. and that efficient waste management systems are required? Um, is that actually achievable here in Africa? And what's your role in this? I believe that's what you concentrate on. Yeah, yeah. So definitely, I mean, they say that 80% of the waste that ends up in the ocean starts on land, and that's a huge portion of it. It's really significant. So good waste management systems are a crucial part of it um, and what we do is especially my department we work with the local municipality and we also work with businesses and the recycling sector and we kind of amplify and connect and facilitate to to help people manage waste better to do we do a little bit of capacity building with with the municipality when it's relevant of course um, to help uh, find out where their gaps are within their understanding of like recycling and the circular economy um, and then we also work with business to try to facilitate businesses to take 
basically to take some initiative into um, getting the waste out of the environment or um, playing their part in enabling recycling if they're if they're producers of waste so yeah so i mean we work across the sector um, and I think it is possible to have better waste management systems in Africa, 100%. But at the end of the day, it's not just a, a job of a municipality. It's a collective effort that needs to happen because this issue is immense. Um, it's complicated. It takes a lot of resources. And in general, unfortunately, waste management departments across the continent are like really, really under-resourced. So they don't have as much staff or as much money as they need to. So... We need the collaboration with the private sector and with communities to be able to do waste management properly. So there's hope, but it's still going to take um, it's still going to take some some basically some good relationships and partnerships to make it happen. I know over the last decade, certainly where I'm from in the UK originally, but increasingly here in South Africa, we're aware of recycling and its purpose, but. Isn't the issue single-use plastics? There is a, there is a. You, you gave me a stat which was fun, which was absolutely incredible. That mm. the fact that we can, yes, we can remove something like plastic shopping bags from mm. the environment, but Mm-mm. but people actually use them. They mm. are actually <laughs> there's a purpose. It depends on your economic situation. Absolutely. And so the issue is is it's not actually the plastic itself, but how we use it. One hundred percent. You captured it so well. So single-use plastic, yes, of course, those are problematic. Like think for example, if you use a straw to drink. It's kind of unnecessary. You have a mouth, you know, the thing you're drinking out has an opening. So you could so you could avoid that single-use plastic. So items like that that are really like unnecessary, we should get rid of completely, unfortunately. But then there's other items that are um, in some instances, they're gonna be classified as single-use, like say like a shopping bag. But then when you go to a different area, like say you go to a low income area, a shopping bag, we have some statistics that show a shopping bag can get used up to 11 times in a low income area. So that shopping bag isn't just a shopping bag. It helps people to take the, the, um, the things that they need to school. It gets used so many times that its value almost gets, it's, it's, it's validated in its use. But in different places where that shopping bag is only going to be used once, then I think it would be a good idea to um, to find another to find another material or find another type type of um, you know like um, a replacement for it. So what I'm saying is basically it's so important to take in the local context of how items you are using either get get um, reused or um, or we, whether to find out whether we can eliminate them because just to have like a um, like a blanket um, like banning of an item doesn't necessarily do the good that we want it to do so you have to be taken to the local context the thing that you're going to ban um, and then make sure it works there but obviously like I said there's some single-use plastic items like a lot of food packaging is single-use plastic that you can replace across the board um, and it shouldn't be too problematic as long as there's alternatives in place that are not harmful to the environment. I mean so many of the conversations we have here on Frontierland involve education. Mm. It's changing people's perception, it's yeah. changing people's or, or at least influencing people's awareness of, of the actions they're taking in our natural mm. world and what is your role in educating people? 
Oh, that's such a cool question. Um, so yeah, so we have a great role in educating people. Um, my department specifically, we work with a lot of like budding waste entrepreneurs um, and small scale recyclers and things like that. So basically people who want to work in waste or who are working in waste and recycling, and we help them to do the work that they're doing better so that they can move up the recycling chain. So that's a really cool part of the work that we do. We get to work with like all kinds of different communities or different groups um, and different enterprises like we work here um, in Nelson Mandela Bay but we also cr- work across Africa um, incubating different businesses or small scale um, recycling or waste elimination businesses um, then we also have an education department who like I said work with schools and young learners to build that environmental connection and teach them about recycling um, and then our um, they also sorry uh, the education department also work with teachers which is a super important part they basically allow teachers to have all of the training um, and the material available to them so that they can teach waste awareness um, and recycling um, kind of like um, the the fundamentals of recycling to learners so that part's also super cool I'm really proud of our um, education program with working with teachers Um, and then we have a research department and our research department has been working for like the last two years um, across the western Indian Ocean Um, so that's a couple of the island states like Madagascar um, and Mauritius and things like that and then along East Africa and what they've been doing there is harmonizing the method of monitoring litter that washes up on shore so why that is so important is with these harmonized approaches to um, understanding how litter comes on shore we're able to understand the sources of waste a bit better so we can kind of get try to understand with that whether they're sea-based sources of waste whether they're from land and then what the problem items of the waste are so that's a program that's been running and really successfully and we've created some really um, great materials with it so the idea is that because we've tested it over such a large ground over a couple of years now that method of sampling litter and monitoring litter can get rolled out in other places really really easy it's nice and simple to follow fantastic work Mm. but all this must cost money where does ssd get them the funding to do all this yeah it does i mean like all ngos we work on a funding cycle from funders so most ngos work on like a three to five year cycle we've had a three-year cycle with the norwegian government um and you know that's the thing with ngo work we're always looking for support so that support can come in the form of volunteers um financial support um like capacity support if you know an organization or institution out there that you'd like to connect us to we're so open to building connections that can help us do what we do better so that leads me on perfectly i mean the most important thing people listening to this i hope are inspired by your passion but mm. certainly with the work that you do how can people help uh, the volu- voluntary sector of course mm. is a massive part of, yeah. of of the conservation efforts in this country yeah. but how can people reach out to you and, and get involved in the work you do well they can contact us on info at um, sstafrica.org.za and then they can reach out and and offer whatever support they have available to them, whether they would like to volunteer their time. We do coastal cleanups and things like that quite often, and it's always nice to get volunteers to do that with us because it's quite a nice immersive learning experience also. Um, And then, like I said, if you have some ideas for collaboration or um, initiatives that you would like to link us to, Drop us an email the same way um, and let us know what you're thinking. Or if you'd like to make a financial donation or even potentially, you know, like 
get involved at a higher level, you're welcome to get in touch um, at that email address, um, and then we can see how we can we can connect and make things work better. Because this is an issue that affects us all. An incredible mm. stat is that, am I right in saying that recent research has found elements of plastic in human breast milk, yeah. which is quite shocking, isn't it? Scary, Tina. <laughs> it is. It's terrifying, really. I mean, we, I try not to get too um, hung up on these facts, but when I read this research, it just is... Oh, sure. The, 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 you know, like the sheer magnitude of the problem that we have with plastic, especially microplastics. Oh, well, all plastic, but microplastics are so invasive. So um, microplastics are those teeny tiny plastics. They can sometimes be nano, nano size that they're so small. Um, and microplastics can come when small bits of plastic break up. All microplastics can come about from degrade, like the degrading of uh, like polyester fibers and other kinds of fibers that plastic is made into. Because what happens is like often you'll find things like gym clothes because they're quick dry, um, which is one of the you know one of the great things about them. They're made up of, of polyester fibers, which is plastic fibers essentially woven down to be nice and soft. But then when you wash them, they degrade and then they go into the water and those fibers are so tiny that there's no way that they get filtered out um, by regular washing machines. Like I haven't really heard of a filter that filters out um, microplastics or anything like that from washing machines. If someone has some knowledge out there to share with me on that, that would be great to know. But yeah, I haven't heard of that. So yeah, so so um, because they like they end up in the water um, and they're, you know, quite widely spread. I read an article the other day that said that they found some microplastic fibers in Antarctica. So they're all the way down there in the South Pole. So, you know, they're everywhere in the environment. Um, and although a lot of this research is quite new. So like with the breast milk um what, with finding um, microplastics in breast milk, we don't necessarily know exactly how it got there. So the research is quite new um, and understanding the pathways of plastic, microplastic into the human body aren't always 100% clear. It's obviously a, it's like a hard, um, it's like a complicated issue to, to hone in on about the pathway. But yeah, microplastics are very prevalent. Um, it's a bit of a scary topic. Um, so yeah, so that's why we think um, the plastic issue, the plastic pollution issue is so important. We're not anti-plastic. Like I said in the beginning, plastic has made our life very easy and convenient. It's just how we're handling it is, is quite problematic. No, I think I think the message is. I mean, sometimes you you have to alert people, if mm. if not scare people, to what's happening out mm. there. I mean, uh, a conservative estimate is ten million metric tons of plastic ends up in our ocean each year, yeah. uh, which is which is mind boggling, really. Mm. But you, listen, you're let's end on a positive. You're a positive person, mm. Joe. We've not gone too far, have we? We can turn this around, can't we? No, we haven't gone too far. One hundred percent, Dean. Like I think that there is a lot of opportunity actually within um, reducing plastic pollution in general. I mean, the plastic waste economy is an opportunity to um, create a lot of jobs and to create a lot of resources that we don't necessarily have on the African continent. Like when you think of recycling plastic, you very often just think of turning it into like another beverage bottle or something like that. But there's so many ways you can recycle plastic waste into something else. Plastic can get used um, to replace butane I think it is and build roads there's lot, There's a couple of companies out there who are turning plastic into paving stones, who are turning plastic into outdoors furniture who are to, or, or bricks or roof tiles you know so there's so many applications for plastic so it's not 
a re, like you know just an item that's waste that once we get it out the environment we don't know what to do with it there are many applications for plastic you can turn plastic into into biodiesel you know like there's just so much to do with it so i think that although it is a it's a big problem at the same time it's really an opportunity africa is a continent that faces a lot of unemployment and a lot of rac- lack of resources so if we can find a way to collaborate with you know collection mechanisms through communities and businesses that have the expertise to build or to, to recycle plastic and turn it into something useful to me that's an amazing opportunity it's not um you know, trying to make the best of a bad situation. It's actually, it's a, it's a tool for development. It's a tool for us to move forward. So I think that there is hope out there. It's um, obviously, the path is not straight. <laughs> it's a little bit complicated, but it's it's entirely possible. It really, really is. And that technology exists. It's out there. We just have to connect, again, connect the right people. Well, I'm sure with your passion, Joe, and what you do with the Sustainable Seas Trust, we have got that opportunity to, mm. to move forward. And thank you so much for the work you do. And thank you for coming oh, in today. It's a pleasure. It's been so great to chat to you. Thanks, Dean. That was Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. For more podcasts, visit algoafm.co.za.